Well, uh, as a dad, one thing I learned really, really quick is that my kids are really gifted at embarrassing me. Parents, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, kids are, are good at embarrassing you. I not long ago found out that uh, while I was inside uh, doing my thing, outside my kids were climbing up onto the roof of our uh, little garage, little small shed kind of building, and jumping onto the trampoline. And so I guess the neighbors just kind of thought that was perfectly okay with us. We had no idea what was going on. And so they're good at embarrassing us. Uh, uh, one of our, our guys, I remember years ago, he was a little man, and we're hanging out in the Boston Common enjoying a beautiful day, and we look over and he's relieving himself on a tree uh, in the Boston Common for that matter. And so, yeah, a little wild. And, but one area where uh, they love to frequently embarrass us is with regards to money, right? Uh, our kids have been known to walk into the home of somebody who's got a big home and go, are you rich? And no, 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 you don't, you don't say that. They, they'll say to people sometimes, how much money do you make? Like, you can't do that. You don't ask people how much money they make, right? Anybody ever been embarrassed by their kiddos? Anybody ever outright ask somebody how much money they make? Yeah, no, you don't do that, right? We've kind, of been, we've kind of been conditioned to think you don't talk about money. And I'm fully aware that people get really uncomfortable when it comes to talking about money. However, in the Bible, uh, there's all kinds of talk about money because I believe we're thinking about money. And so uh, it's all over the Bible. This is a very, very important topic. Pastor David mentioned last week that there's more in the Bible about money than heaven or hell because we really want to know about uh, money. He also mentioned that almost half of Jesus's parables are with regards to money. But catch this, this is important. But Jesus himself never asked for money. There was kind of this one exception that he asked for money. He asked somebody, he said, hey, can I have a coin? And he takes a coin and he says, heads or tails? No, he doesn't do that. But he goes, whose head is this on the back? Caesar's. He says, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's. It's kind of an encouragement. Yes, you pay taxes. But as far as we can tell, he gave the, the, the coin, the money, back. Here's what we see from Jesus in the scriptures is that Jesus is after something. But he's not after your money. He's after your heart. Because he knows that our grip on money reveals better than almost anything who or what we worship. Our grip on money reveals almost better than anything what we put our trust in, what we find our comfort in, what we get our identity from, these things that money can buy. So Jesus talks a lot about money. And again, today we'll talk about money in our final installment of the Generous Life sermon series. Jesus talking about money in Luke chapter 16. So if you have a Bible, you want to get to Luke 16, that'd be great. You can scroll there on the app. We'll put it on the screen for you. If you don't have a Bible at home, got Bibles in the back, grab one and uh, keep it. That's our gift uh, for you. Luke chapter 16. Uh, while you're turning there uh, in Luke chapter 16, the big idea for this sermon series all along the way is that because of God's great generosity towards us, we should be the most generous people on the planet. Fill in the blank. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he, he gave. God is a giver. God gave. He, he gave us his only son. He is the most generous. He gave us his son and we're to follow that lead and we're to be sacrificial in our generosity. Here's the deal. I know so many of you and I know that you want to be generous. Have you ever said or thought, if I were loaded, I would be so generous? Anybody said that? I would, I would be so generous if I, if I were loaded. I would love to be loaded and just go all Oprah on people, right? You get a car and you get a car and you get a house. I, that would be great. I, I really believe that we want to be generous, 
But I imagine so many of us think it's maybe it's just not possible here in Boston. Anybody? I mean, last week David talked about how uh, the, the least generous states, statistically speaking, in our entire nation are the five states of New England, which is just, just kind of funny to me. Uh, and did anybody in here, just admit it, did anybody in here when he said that think, well, it's because it's so stinking expensive here. Anybody think that? I was thinking that was the first thing I thought when I, when I heard that. Uh, well, if that is the reason, how do you explain Maine? I mean, you can get a cheap piece of property way up in middle of nowhere, Maine or, or New Hampshire. It's because it's, it's not just the cost of living thing. It really is, I think, a heart thing. There's something going on among us. And so I believe, I know, confident from the scripture that we can be generous even here in Boston. And so today what I want to do is I want to help you get there because I know you want to be. Luke chapter 16. You there by now? All right, I'll give you plenty of time. Luke chapter 16. Uh, Luke tells us uh, about a time that Jesus gives a parable to a bunch of his disciples. Now, when we think disciples, I think a lot of us, our minds go to the 12. Those are the 12 whom he also named apostles. But when you think disciples of Jesus, you think that there should be the people that they all follow Jesus and, and they, were, they were hanging around Jesus. Those are the disciples. He gives a parable. Now, a parable is a story, but not necessarily a, a, a true story. It's a story that's given to teach a point. And this one we're looking at today is not among the most popular of Jesus's parables because it's a bit strange. But Jesus gave it for a reason, and it's actually really, really helpful for us. It's known as the parable of the dishonest manager. You ready for it? Luke chapter 16. Let's do verse 1. All right. Here we go. We're excited. Verse 1. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. So, once upon a time, there was a man who was so rich that he had to hire somebody to manage his money, his financial dealings, his uh, selling and his trading and his buying, all of that stuff. But the rich man catches word that his manager was acting shady, that he was wasting his own money. Verse 2, and he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. So the rich man calls his manager, his CFO, his chief financial officer, into his office. And and he says, "I, I hear that you're not using my money rightly. You're not repping me well. You're not being very accountable. What are you doing with my finances? Give an account. Show me the books. In fact, you know what? You're done. You're fired. You're out of here. You can no longer be my manager. Okay, so at this point, I imagine most of us are probably still kind of tracking with Jesus. We, we see what you're talking about, Jesus. Uh, some early lessons from this parable, just a, a couple. First of all, is that our money and our possessions are actually God's money and God's possession, right? Psalm uh, 24 verse 1 says, All the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And so all that God has, all of this, it's, it's all his, right? All of it is his. First Peter chapter 4 verse 10 says, uh, To each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. And that's talking specifically about the gifts of the Spirit that God gives us. But it does apply as a principle to all the gifts that God gives us. Everything is a, is a gift from the Lord. The things that he's entrusted to our And it says that God has given us gifts to varying degrees. So some have a lot more and some have a little bit less and wherever you're at. Uh, But it says that we as God's people are to use them to do what? To serve people. And then it says to serve people as good 
stewards. Now, another uh, word for stewards interchangeable in the scripture is the word manager. And so that means that every dollar in our bank account, every item in our home, every gift or talent that God has given us, it's God's and we are managing it for his purpose. You go down the road here and you go to, to the village market and the manager is not the owner. The owner is a different guy. He's got red hair, nice guy. But the, the manager is not the person who owns all the stuff. He's managing it for the owner. And so it's God's stuff. We're, we're, we're managing it for him, for his purposes. The, the second early lesson we get from this parable is that we are going to have to give an account for how we use God's resources. We will. We're going to have to give an account. Jesus gives us a number of parables where we are managers of the master's stuff. And in the parables, oftentimes we'll see that the master leaves for a season and when the cat's away, the Mice will play, right? Or in today's modern term, when the boss is away, the employees will watch YouTube, right? That's how it goes, right? But in Jesus' parable, the boss always comes back and the, the managers are always accountable to the boss and we're accountable to God. You got it? So you're with me. Okay, now here's where it gets uh, beyond understandable. It gets really strange. It's, it's, it's very interesting. Verse 3. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. So the termination date is on the calendar. He has uh, been fired. It's, it's over, right? Uh, but first, he has to go get the big account book. Now, I don't know why, but I just kind of, I picture like those big old-fashioned ledgers. My mom was a church secretary for a while growing up. And I remember across the hall, there was the church financial secretary. And she was my friend. Uh, her name was Rhonda. One of Rhonda's daughters married a guy who was a Harvard student. So they came up and were part of the early days of Charles River Church. But I remember going and visiting Rhonda. She was so nice and she'd give us candy. But she had this huge ledger book, the old-fashioned ledger book. So I, I imagine he's got to come back with a ledger. This is pre-computer, right? And, and, and give an account to the, to the master. Uh, and here, here's what really happens. Between him being fired and then having to come and give an account and, and officially it just be totally done, there's a little window of time. There's a, there's a window of time. And so the, the manager says to himself, what shall I do now? I'm busted. I'm caught. I've not been living up to my role. What shall I do now? I'm not strong enough to dig. I love that. He's, he's white collar. He's like, I'm an inside guy. I can't, I, can't, I can't dig. He says, I'm ashamed to beg. I have my pride. I'm not going to go there either. And so he has a, a little window of time, and he has a little bit of opportunity, and he thinks about it. Verse 4, aha, I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. And so summoning his master's debtors one by one. So imagine his master's got a number of debtors one by one by one. He calls the debtors and he works with the debtors. So it sounds like there are many, but Jesus gives us two examples. Verse four, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So the manager says to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, write out 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he says, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. This guy, right? I mean, he takes the first debtor and he kind of, yeah, I imagine he looks around. Hey, how much do you owe the master? 
he replies, 100 measures of oil. That would be, uh, if you were to do the equivalent, uh, that would be uh, 900 gallons of olive oil, essentially. So this soon-to-be unemployed manager says, well, okay, sit down quickly. Why quickly? Because he doesn't have a lot of time, remember? It's just this narrow window of time. Sit down quickly. And he says to the first debtor, you know what? Just make it not 900 gallons of oil. Make it 450 gallons. Really? Okay, just half? You sure? We're good? Yep, just, just write the check and do it quickly. Wow, okay, yeah, that's, that's great. Thank you. Wow, thank you. And the manager probably says something like, you just remember where that came from, all right? Now, I imagine the people who are listening to Jesus at this point when this was actually shared live and in person, the people who, who owe money must be thinking, wow, what a deal. I wish I could get hooked up. Anybody want your credit card bill to be sliced in half, your mortgage payment to be sliced? That would be awesome, right? But the people who have debtors to be like, what a con man. Oh my gosh, this is unbelievable, right? Okay, so now the manager gets the next debtor. He says, I'm here for you to pay up. A hundred measures of wheat, but you know what? Let's just make it 80. We'll just, let's just settle this account. Let's just make it 80. That's a thousand bushels of wheat or 800 bushels that are now owed. So that's a, that's a great, great deal. And you can imagine debtor number two to say something like, seriously? Wow, yeah, thank you. Listen, if you ever need anything, just, just call me. I'll be here for you. To which the manager might say something like, you know what? I might be calling you a little sooner than you think. Now, the implication is that he does this over and over and over again because Jesus says he does this with the debtors one by one with all the master's debtors. So into each of them, he would settle the accounts. He would give them massive discounts. And what's going on while he's doing this? He's creating this big old network of friends that he could call upon in the very near future when he is jobless. But then... The master finds out. Because in Jesus' parables, the master usually represents God and nothing is hidden from God. The master always finds out. And so the master finds out. And and everyone in Jesus' audience, I imagine, are are thinking, ah, this guy is going to get it. They're going to lock him up. They're going to take off his head. That old crook, right? And for most of us in here today, maybe you're thinking the same thing. If this is your first time hearing this parable, you're probably thinking, man, that guy is about to get it. It's going down. And, And Jesus was an incredible storyteller. He was masterful at getting his audience's attention. So he would get you leaning in. And he would often scramble the categories of the way we traditionally think to get us really paying attention. So we start asking, what is he actually saying? Because in every parable, someone represents God. And in every parable, someone represents us. And the people would have assumed, as I did, I remember when the very first time I read this parable, that the dishonest manager is about to get into some serious trouble. And I was wrong. Because Jesus actually commends the dishonest manager. Look at verse 8. The master commends the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. What? When the master finds out about what happened with the manager, he commends him. He laughs. He slaps his legs like, are you, what? This guy, this guy, wow, boy, you are something, you are something else. Why does he commend him? 
says he commends him because of his shrewdness. Shrewdness is good judgment, sharp thinking. This guy had thought it through. This guy had thought it through with the future in mind. This guy had thought it through with his limited time and his limited opportunity. Now, like the first time I read it, and I imagine when the hearers first heard it, and, and maybe for many of you right now, you're just hearing it, you're all confused. The commendation goes against the grain, doesn't it? I mean, this is, this is interesting. But isn't that how Jesus rolled? Like most of what Jesus said just went against the grain. The whole message of Christianity is grace. And that goes against the grain. We kind of live in a barter system. We live in a world where it's, you know, if you're good enough, we think you're probably going to earn God's favor and be able to get into heaven. And the message of Jesus is there is no one righteous, comma, no, not one. Nobody's righteous. And so nobody's good enough to get into heaven. Jesus was good enough. We place faith in him, not in our performance. That's counter-American, right? That is way against the grain. That's how Jesus works. And ultimately, listen, this parable is a grace parable because this old fool got a second chance in his master. But catch it. This old fool, he seized the second chance that he was given. And we need to seize the second chance that we're given. And we need to say yes to Jesus. Some of us in here have never said yes to Jesus. We've got this window of time that, that he's calling us to give our lives to him. And then there's heaven. And we've got to seize this second chance. We've got to seize the grace that is before us. We've got to take the gift, not the reward, because we don't earn it. It's a gift, and we have to open it up. You've got to open it up. You've got to receive it. And this guy, he did it. He did it. And the master is slapping his knee because this man took that second opportunity, took that little window of time and that little window of opportunity and with urgency. Remember, it was with urgency because he said, sit down quickly to the debtor. Sit down quickly. And with urgency, he made the final moments of his job really count. Christians, bottom line, we've got a job to do. We've got a job to do. Our job is not simply education or finance or the nonprofit world or research or science or tech or healthcare or business. Your job, bottom line, above all else, is to bring as many people with you to heaven as possible. That is your job. That is your job, to worship God with every ounce of your being so that people see that and go, that is, this person is so in love with Jesus. And, and then you get to tell them the reason for the hope that you have, the reason for the love inside of your heart. We are not promised tomorrow. We are to do everything in our power today to bring as many people with us to heaven as possible. That is our job. And so with urgency, we take advantage of the little window of time that we have. And the little bit of opportunity that we have on earth for what comes after. Listen to Jesus now in verse 9. Verse 9. And I tell you. And so now he's speaking back to the people. He's out of the parable. He's not telling the story anymore. Now I tell you. Here's the application. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. So that when it fails they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. So take advantage of this little window of time, this little window of opportunity on earth. Take advantage to do what? To make friends. To make friends who will receive us into their homes when the job is done. So that the manager once jobless, will have somewhere to stay. Jesus is saying, take advantage of this time and this opportunity to make friends 
who will receive you into their specifically eternal dwellings. Who will receive you into their eternal homes. In other words, make friends in this window of time that you have who will receive you into their home in heaven. You want to have as many friends in heaven as possible. And so listen, today as we, the last week, round up, wrap up this Generous Life series, thinking about how we can be generous under the example of Jesus with our time and our talent and our treasure, I'm praying that God through this text strange as it may be, will give us some urgency. We need some urgency because we've got just a little bit of time and we've got four and a half million people in Boston. How are we going to bring as many people with us as possible to heaven? Any Super Mario Brothers fans in the room? Anybody? Loved Super, I loved Super Mario as a kid. I played it all the time. There's all kinds of iterations. Uh, remember Mario and Luigi bouncing around the, the levels? And, and do you remember the, the superstar? The, the, some, one, one iteration called it the rainbow star. You, you hit that star and you've got a window of 10 or, or 15 seconds to do some great things, right? I mean, you get, to, you get to run faster. You get invincibility in that 10 or 15 seconds. You can get more coins. You can get more points. You can accumulate up to the, uh, lots of one-ups, you know? And it was, it was great. I love that. You get that 10 or 15 second window and, and then the music would start running faster and faster and faster and faster until that 10 or 15 seconds was up. It was a limited window of time limited opportunity. Listen, church, we have got to flip the script. we got to flip the script because so many Christians are living this, I just got to get by, just got to hold on till I get to heaven. That's not how we should be looking at this life. Yes, we hope in heaven. And yes, this life is hard. But let's not like, I just got to get by till I get to heaven. Just suck it up till I get to heaven. Then it's going to get good. No, flip the script. Right right now on earth, this is time to be moving. This is time where, man, we got the superstar going. Like the, everything that we do really counts. And it doesn't just count one time over. It counts over and over and over again. Steve Harvey, as he says in Family Feud in the final round, right, the point values are double, right, or tripled. Actually, They're actually infinite, right? The people that we see their lives change on earth here, their lives actually get changed for all eternity. It's a big deal. This time is not like, let's just get by. Let's just hold on. Let's just, no, let's make the best use of the time because the days are evil. Remember Ephesians chapter 5? That's what we're trying to do. Trying to make the best use of the limited window of time that we have in this massive opportunity. But a short time to, to cash in on this opportunity. We got to do the best that we can in this time with God's help to, to see lives change. To run faster. To enjoy the, the invincibility. Remember Jesus says, what's the worst they're going to do to you? Kill you? Then you get heaven, right? So just, man, live it up, man. Go, go all out. More coins, more points. Reach people for Jesus. Look again at verse 9. Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Unrighteous wealth? What are we talking about here? He's talking about earthly wealth. There's righteous, eternal wealth, right? When you're, you're, you're rich in God's eyes. And that's why Jesus would talk to the rich people and say things like, you're poor. <laughs> you think you're rich, you're poor. And you talk to the poor people and say, blessed are the poor, right? And so uh, you have, it flips the script all the time. But unrighteous wealth, as opposed to eternal wealth, money, treasure, earthly wealth is what he's talking about here. That, that we can use our earthly wealth to make heavenly friends or heavenly wealth so ask yourself we all should be asking ourselves 
again, as we did at the very beginning of the series, take inventory. What, what has God given me? And how can I use the, whatever it is that God's given me, time, talent, treasure, money, all of it, whatever it is, how can I use this to, 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 to see people come to know Jesus? How can I use whatever God has given me to meet real needs that often stand as an obstacle to people receiving Jesus? That's why Jesus healed people and then said, come follow me, right? He would cast out demons and then come follow me. Drop your, your rocks. And then he would tell the woman things like, he told the woman, what did he say? He said, come and, and send them more and, and you're my disciple now, right? It's going to fail. That's why Jesus says, when earthly wealth fails. Do you hear that? When it fails, it will fail you. All the stuff that money can buy will fail you. And money can buy some things, no doubt, right? Money can buy you security. Anybody feel a little bit more secure when you got more money in your bank account? No, no let's be honest, straight up. Yeah, I do. I'm like, oh, okay, good. We're good. We can breathe a little bit. We're going to be all set. We're going to be able to pay the bills. We're going to be able to pay the mortgage. We're good. We're good, right? It can, it can buy you that. It can buy you an identity. You can get the house that house in that neighborhood and I, man, I'm from that neighborhood or you can get that car or you can wear those clothes. It can give you a little bit of identity. Jesus says, okay, whatever, but just know it will fail you, right? Your money will fail you. It's, it's gonna fail you. We all know you can't take it with you. It's, that's obvious. So make sure that you've invested in something that is far more lasting, far more lasting. So here's how we close. We close with, with two words. Two words, grace and decision. Grace and decision. Grace, I told you, this parable, man, this is, a, this is a grace parable about God giving us a second chance. Some of us in here, we have never received the grace of God, the forgiveness of sin, new life in Christ. We've been doing things that are just contrary to the way God has called us to live, and that's sin. But the Bible has given us a second chance. God has given us a second chance if we would receive what Jesus has done. And so today, some of you, you need to give your life to Jesus. You need to become a Christian. It's the best decision a person could ever make. I didn't say you need to be born into a Christian family. That's not becoming a Christian. You don't carpool to heaven. You make a decision to receive the grace of God. Just because grandma's going to heaven, just because mama went to heaven, doesn't mean you're going to heaven. You got to make a decision, right? You got to make a decision. Just because you hung out at church doesn't mean you're going to heaven, right? That's not how it works. You know, I go stand in my garage. I'm not going to turn into a car, right? I'm still a human, right? It's receiving the grace of God. It's the decision you make. Grace. And some of us in here, you, you're a Christian, and God has been outrageously generous to you. Even if you're the poorest person on the planet, if you got Jesus, you got everything. He has been so generous to you. But maybe if you were to do some self-evaluation, the reality is that you have not been generous with what he has given you. He's been generous to you, but you've not been generous with what he has given to you. But that can change. This is grace. This is a, an opportunity here. This is God saying, I'm going to give you a second chance. You can say, from this moment forward, with the little bit of time that I have in front of me till the day that I die, and, and, and the little window of opportunity that I have in front of me before the day that I die, I'm going to be generous. And God won't beat you. God won't lock you up in prison, as we often think, like if kind of thinking like we do as Americans. That guy should have been con man. That was dirty, right? Instead, God will slap his knee and say, look at you. 
receiving my grace and taking advantage of the opportunity, taking advantage of this situation, you can say from March 1, 2020 forward, I am going to make the best use of my time. You can say from this day forward, I'm going to make the best use of my talent. You can say from this day forward, I'm going to make the best use of my treasure. From this day forward, I am going to be generous. I'm going to be generous because earthly wealth will fail me. Earthly wealth will fail me. I cannot take it with me. The Bible says moth and rust destroy all the stuff that we accumulate. It destroys it all eventually. We all know that. But there is a way to manipulate, to be shady, no, to, be, to manipulate your earthly wealth if you will use it as a means to an end. You can use it as a means to accumulate eternal treasure. But if your earthly wealth and your possession, your stuff just is the end in and of itself, what's going to happen? Eventually you're going to get moth holes in it and it's going to get rusty and it's going to erode and it's going to be done and it's going to burn up. It's gone. So first word is grace. Receive God's grace from this day forward. Be generous as he was generous to you. Here's the second word. Decision. Decision. Luke chapter 16 verse 4. The unrighteous manager said to himself, I have decided what to do. He made a decision. And we've got to decide what we're going to do, how we're going to make the best use of the little window of time and the little window of opportunity that we have from now until the day we die. Because every older person I talk to in some way, shape, or form always tells me, it's like a blink, it's like a blink, it's like a blink, it's like a blink. People see me with my kids and I'm like, oh man, hang on, it's going to be gone before you know it. Make the best use of it. Time flies. Just a little window. It might seem like forever but it's a little window of time. Jesus will commend this man for his shrewdness, his good judgment, his, his forethought, that this guy thought to himself, what's it going to look like when this job is over? What's it going to look like when, when I'm, I'm done with this, this role that I'm in right now? And it's going to be here before I know. I mean, it's, time, is, time is ticking. And we've got to ask the same thing. What's it going to look like when the job that God has given us on this earth to bring as many people with us to heaven as possible, to make disciples of all nations, what's it going to look like when that's over? So many young professionals in our church. I love it. We got a lot of young single people in our church. I love it. And you're busy thinking and dreaming about your wedding day. It's going to be beautiful. The cake, the dress, the, the whole thing, right? You're dreaming about that. You need to spend more time dreaming about your funeral. You need to be thinking about what are they going to say when I'm done, when the job is over. I think about my funeral more times. than I mean, it's probably weird, but I think about it quite a bit, actually. And I don't want anybody saying, man, that Josh Wyatt, he had a great house. Whew. I don't want Andrew Nielsen getting up on the podium being like, man, man, I love Josh. He had a great car. It was so great. I don't, I don't care about that stuff, right? I don't, want, I don't want Deborah getting up there and going, man, in Josh's office, I'd go in there and he'd pray for me sometimes. And up on that wall, he had all these accolades and diplomas. And man, he was so educated. No, I'm planning my funeral to have a whole lot of, not, not stuff that people care about, but a whole lot of stories. Anybody want stories at your funeral? I want stories about people's lives who have been changed, people who felt loved and cared for and invested in. That's what you want, right? I know that's what you want. That's what we want. But listen to me. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. It's not good enough to say, that's what I want. Because you guys know how life goes just like it's slipping through your fingers, right? 
To be able to have a funeral that has stories, it's going to require a lot of forethought, shrewdness. Verse 3, the manager, he thought to himself. Verse 4, he decided what to do. That is, he decided beforehand, before he went and called the debtors, right? So for you, moving forward to live the generous life where there's, there's, it's about stories and about all the stuff that you've accumulated over the years. To, to, to live that, you've got to say, what is my plan? How am I going to do that? Notice that Jesus doesn't say he went and he gave discounts to a lot of debtors. He doesn't say that. There are specific numbers, very thought through numbers in this parable. Because listen, if you do not get specific, you will use up all of your resources. And I'm not just talking about your money. I'm talking about your time, right? Nobody's got time. Nobody's got time. Because we're just like, whatever's in front of us, we'll do that now. We'll do whatever's in front of us. We'll do that now. We'll, you know, we, it's like we're, we're horses with the blinders on, right? We can't see around. And that's, it's good for a horse, but we're not horses. We're humans, right? So we're to see more than just what's in front of us right now, right? You don't just do what's in front of you right now. You just chew up your time, but that's how we live. And if we're, if we're not thoughtful and shrewd, we're going to chew up all of our resources, time, talent, treasure, all of it, right? And you'll be left saying, well, it's Boston. It's just so expensive. I just can't be generous. And every now and again, my wife and I will go to a, a swanky restaurant, just every now and again. We'll go to somewhere really nice, you know, the kind where there's a, a white plate and and just a little bit of food in the middle, you know, and the margin, and it'll do a little drizzle on the side and maybe a leaf or something, and we'll do that. And you know what happens? Almost all the time when we eat it, we eat the food, and, and we'll both, one of us will say something like, you know what? That was just the right amount of food. I feel good. I feel, I feel satisfied. That was satiated. That was great. I didn't eat too much. That felt really good. But you know what? The next time we go to some sloppy Italian restaurant where they put the, it's like almost hanging over the side. You know what I'll do? I'll eat every bit of that food too. I'll eat every single bit of it because here's what we do. We consume whatever's in front of us. Don't we? Just whatever, put it in front of me. I'll just, I'll consume it. Is it time? I'll consume it. Is it money? I'll, I'll spend it all. We consume whatever's in front of us unless we predetermine, unless we're shrewd, unless we make a decision that I'm not going to consume everything that's in front of us. Like I said at the beginning, I believe many of us want to be generous, but by default, we just consume everything because we haven't predetermined. And some of us have made really poor financial decisions, poor time decisions, poor, poor use of our, our talent decisions. We, we make poor decisions, right? And, and some of us are, are in debt. We're, we're paying off this massive mortgage. We're, we're paying the bare minimum on a, on a credit card. And so here's what we all need to do. We need to set a goal, not a number, but a percentage and start to work towards whatever that percentage is and, and make adjustments with time to, to, to get to that percentage. Man, I remember hitting 30 years old and, you know, they target you, you know? And so, I don't know, they figure out what my birthday is. When I hit 30, there was, you know, some article that hit me on my socials that talked about, you know, when you're 30, here's how much money you have, should have already saved for retirement. And I was like, cool. I don't think I've saved anything for retirement. I mean, whatever, you know, this part-time jobs as a teenager that was, you know, forced to the government or whatever. That's that. And I just laughed. And then they said, here's what you should have saved and here's what you should be putting away right now. And I thought, that is not even possible. You know what I did, though? 
It did, did stir something in me, and I determined to, to put away just a fraction of a percentage so that when I turned 65, I might have $20,000 to live off of for the next three decades of my life. <laughs> it was a start. It was a start. But over time, that percentage has grown. And for me personally, fortunately, I was discipled from a young age to, 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 to give to the Lord. That if granddad gave me a birthday card with $10 in it, I was going to give a dollar back to, to God. If I got $50 over the course of the weekend mowing my neighbor's lawns, I would give $5 to God. And it, honestly, for me, as a kid, it was just always, always a joy. I remember through college not making much and thinking, I don't even know how I'm going to pay this tuition payment. And, and yet I would still be faithful to, to give. And, and, and it was crazy. I mean, there was one time that, that I owed, a, I owed a, a tuition bill that was coming up and I was freaking out by it. It was like 840 something dollars. And, and I, but I, I'm going to be faithful to give. I always said that I would. And, I, and so I did. And then on my way home for Thanksgiving break, I had myself and my friend Amy who lived uh, near where I lived in the car. And we were going back home for Thanksgiving break. And uh, we come over this hill on 85 heading south. And the sun was just blinding. And all the cars started screeching on their brakes. And, and I was the first car of like a 14-car pileup. <laughs> it was wild. And it was this old beater of a car that I didn't give a rip about. You know what? When the insurance check came in for that, you know how much it was? It was 840 whatever dollars. It was wild. I'm like, you're kidding me, right? I mean, God just provided to the dollar. Yeah, it was one of those markers in my life. You got those markers in your life? You're like, yep, God was in that. That was one of those very specific markers in my life where God just said, I got you. I got you. You just got to trust me. You got to trust me. And man, I, I, by the grace of God, I was disciple. To, to, to give and to trust God from a young age. But I also know that many of you, maybe most of you were not. And so I'm not going to hold that against you either. And some of us have gotten into financial situations that man, it's really, really tough for you right now. Like, I, I don't even know how to get out of this situation. So I'm not saying, okay, so right now let's just start writing checks. Let's go, let's go. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying, like the unrighteous manager, let's sit down and let's say, where do I want to be? How am I going to get there? And it's, it's probably going to be like little fractions of a percent or whatever. But, but predetermine in your heart from this moment forward with the little amount of time and the little resources that I have, I'm going to make the best use of it. So set a goal, a percentage, not a number, a percentage, and start to work towards that. Even if it's way far off that you can imagine that you could get there. Just like with my retirement. I thought I'd never, but I'm starting to, starting to get somewhere, starting to get somewhere. The truth is, we all live off of a percentage of our income, right? Some of us, it's 100%. <laughs> We're going to live off 100% of our income. Some of us, maybe it's 90%. Some of it, uh, it's 70% with the first 10% going to Christ's mission through the church and a little bit more so that you can give spontaneously, as David talked about last week, with another percentage going to retirement or to vacation or to paying down uh, your mortgage or or a down payment for a home or a rainy day savings. So many of us are so financially stressed, but the truth is the financial pressures that so many of us in America feel makes absolutely no sense to over 50% of the world's population. They go, say what? You're so financially stressed. But then they look at what we consume as a have to, like we have to have this. 
Like we, even in our own home, we have we have the like one in a, a half bathroom, and in that bathroom, we're all you know bodies are getting bigger, and we're all bumping around, you know. And we're like, man, we need another bathroom. As these boys get bigger, we're going to need another bathroom. As time in the bathroom requires a little bit longer with the makeup and all that stuff with our daughter, we're going to need another bathroom. And then I'm like, mm, we don't need another bathroom. We got three kids. The family that lived here before us in the 40s, 50s, 60s, they had four kids, and they said it was the best place ever, and they loved it. Right? And so somehow we, we, get to, we, we grow to where we need certain things that people didn't need right? back then. And people across the rest of the country certainly don't need. We all live, every single one of us lives in a mansion compared to the vast majority of the world. Even the smallest place in this room lives in a mansion compared to the vast majority of the world. And so we've got to say, you know what? What stresses financially am I putting on myself? What stresses are real? And how can I set a percentage to get to the place that I want to be so that I can joyfully be on God's mission? I can joyfully be on God's mission. Because when you do that and you live off of the percentage that you you should be living on so that the rest of the percentage you can do the things that you want to do, that's when giving becomes a joy. Some of you heard what David was talking about last week. You're like, I don't know. I don't think that'll ever be a joy. Spontaneous, so happy to give it, right? If you carve out your lifestyle in such a way that you can do that, that's when it becomes a joy. That's when uh, 2 Corinthians 9, you can give cheerfully. For my wife and I, the first day of every month, which was this morning, we'll pull up the church app and we'll give. And it's a joy. I'm telling you, there have been seasons where I'm like, oh. But as we've carved out our lifestyle in such a way that we can do it with being a joy. It's a joy. So younger people, it's a little easier to establish that now. Those who are further in life and you've kind of had these rhythms and these, these debts that you owe now, right? Like it's a little harder, but you can get there as well. We can all say from this day forward, I want to be able to give as a joy. I want to work towards that. God wants that for you. God wants you to know the pleasure that comes when you see a need and you're able to step in in some way, shape, or form, whether big or small or somewhere in the middle, and you can give and it's a real privilege to be generous with your time, with your talent, with your treasure, because it's not just the money stuff we're talking about here. We're talking about time. Some of us are so maxed out on our time. We've committed to so many things that there's no opportunity to be spontaneous and meet a need and to go visit with somebody or pray with somebody or to invite somebody over because we have, we've, we've just maxed ourselves out. Here's the call this week. The call is grace plus decision to receive God's grace and then be faithful from this moment forward. And to make a decision like the manager. To sit down at some point in the very near future. Maybe tonight. Either by yourself with your mind. Your Bible open. You're praying with a spouse. Or, or with somebody who, who, who can help you think through your finances a little bit. Sit down. Make a budget. Think to yourself and decide. What am I going to do so that I can do the job that's in front of me. Because I'm not going to have this job forever. There's going to be a day when it's over and my funeral comes. And I want to be able to say, man, I got a lot of great stuff. There are just stories after stories after stories shared of how God has used you as you've just lived an open-handed life. You want that? I want that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for just this call to, to be shrewd. 
Because I think it's really easy for us to just kind of check out and say, that's great for everybody else, but I cannot do that. God, I pray that you would help us to see how we might be shrewd and to think through what our next steps are so that we can join you in your mission with our time and with our talent and with our treasure. God, I pray that we would live the generous life. Not, it would, not, not that it would be a generous, obligated life, but a generous, joyful life of I get to be a part of what God's doing. So God, I pray for my friends in this room that they would be able to experience that, that joy of generosity. And so Father in heaven, I commit them to you. Help them to, to know the next steps that you're calling them to. Help them as they sit down and think and determine, predetermine to be shrewd and specific as to where they want to be with their generosity. But how they might be able to, with their time, care for people, create margin. They can be interrupted. And they can stop and love and care and pray and be with people. That, that they would have a generous spirit with regards to their, their talent, the, the gifts that you've given them. And they would, they would be able to just use the unique things that they've, they've been given by you, the, the skills and the spiritual giftings. They would use them for your purposes. And then for the treasure, God, that they would just be open-handed with their stuff because it's all yours. So God, do that in our hearts. Help us as we take some next steps. And then Father in heaven, I pray that we would receive your grace. Every one of us needs your grace right now. Some need your grace to just receive the forgiveness of sins and enter into a relationship with Jesus and become a Christian. Help them to, today to call upon your name and be saved. And then for those of us in here who need your grace because we've, we've kind of like the, the manager at the beginning, we were just wasting your resources. May they receive your grace and from this day forward, live the kind of life that you want them to live in your power and your strength. So Father, we're thankful that you are refocusing us and are showing us that there is a way. Help us to be your children, living your life, your purposes, not what the world tells us we need to be about, but what you tell us we need to be about. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.